Hello, I'm George Mason, host of Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. How does the church welcome LGBTQ persons in the life of the church and also keep the church together with those who have a more traditional understanding of human sexuality? We'll be talking with Andy Stoker, Senior Minister of First United Methodist Church of Dallas, about just that. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm joined by Andy Stoker, the Reverend Dr. Andy Stoker, who is the senior minister of the First United Methodist Church of Dallas, a wonderful colleague and friend. And Andy, we share a lot of work together in the community, which is a delight to be able to do, although the challenges are often daunting. Uh, but we are both part of traditions in Methodism and in Baptist life that see the role of the church in the community and in um, public life as being really important. Uh, actually part of this whole enterprise, this conversation that we're doing, Good God, is an effort to gain more and more understanding about that kind of work. Uh, but talk a little bit about the social tradition of uh, uh, the Methodist Church and, and Wesleyanism and how you have a sense of calling to be not only the senior minister of your local congregation, but to engage the world in, in this work. Yeah. Well, this work would be awfully lonely if we didn't have each other. Yes. And part of, part of my call to ministry is really about finding partners to walk, walk this life with. Mm -hmm. um, John Wesley believed that vital piety and social holiness were the two things needed for great civic engagement and a country well run. Mm. Uh, vital, phrase. Vi vital piety yeah. and social holiness. Vital piety is that connection with God. Yes. Uh, John Wesley trusted his brother a whole lot, Charles, to write a whole bunch of hymns <laughs> that indicate that vital piety. Uh, John Wesley put his mind to the social holiness work. Mm -hmm. Social holiness work in the Methodist tradition is something that is a balanced approach. Our, our understanding is uh, when one has a conversion experience or understands, them, understands themselves aligned with Jesus Christ, they see themselves, yes, as saved, and we also ask ourselves in the Methodist tradition, now what? Now what? Lovely. Now, I'm saved, now what? Yes. Well, for John Wesley, it was always about connecting with neighbors who are at the margins. Hmm. Always. There's, there's not a time in John Wesley's life where you could say, you know what, he took a break and, and he was focused on something else. Hmm. He was always focused on his neighbors, especially neighbors at the margins. In the Methodist faith, for the last almost 300 years, um, Methodists have found themselves on the front lines of making an impact in the economic community, nurturing community, social communities, political communities, and it all starts from the local church. Mm -hmm. So as a Methodist minister, sure, I'm assigned to First United Methodist Church of Dallas. My job is certainly to know and love that congregation. Because uh, a church, a church with just a single personality, mm 
mm-hmm. can only go so far. Yes. A church that has membership and a radical transformed membership always looking for vital piety and social holiness now we've replicated ourselves mm-hmm. and i've worked myself out of a job which is more theoretical than practical of course <laughs> yes i think we're always going to need please tell my family something. that too right <laughs> well the other thing about your tradition and we've talked about the different ways that pastors are either appointed or called to churches But the itinerant ministry that a Methodist minister has, uh, that is a moving about um, uh, in in a way where the bishop appoints you to a church, uh, the the protection that represents is also important, right? Because uh, in in a sense, uh, the free church tradition, my tradition, if, if, if our church decided that it had had enough of our relationship, I would be unemployed. Uh, but there is a fallback in that you serve the larger Methodist church. So in a sense, you can challenge the congregation, you can speak truth, you can call people to action, but you know that you're still part of the church, uh, even if that local congregation becomes too challenging. Uh, so that's a, it, it gives you a sense, I think, uh, in Methodism that there's a, um, a protection for the sake of your voice and for your action, right? Absolutely. And part of it, George, too, is uh, Methodism is moving, moving away from those one-year, two-year appointments at, yes. at, at other churches right. and finding longer pastorates yes. are a little more effective mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the frequent itinerant nature yes. of, of having uh, having a, a new minister in every one or two years. Right. Uh, so the challenge in Methodism now is uh, really connecting with our congregation in a way where they have so many ways of connecting with other churches and faith traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the internet, beautiful, for example, mm-hmm. has provided my congregation with a 15-minute sermon here, a 20-minute sermon there, uh, new ways of interacting with whole communities or pastors themselves. Uh, And so what is it that I'm called to? I'm I'm wondering if the idea of protectionism Mm -hmm. is falling away now Ah. because of competition. Yes. And what, what competition has done in Methodism is it's called those, those pastors who are really into uh, comparing themselves to other pastors or comparing themselves to other ministries, um, it has created some isolation. Ah. And in my understanding of serving the likes of a First United Methodist Church of Dallas is my call, my role at First United Methodist Church is not so much competition. I don't want to be the best Methodist church in the area. My call, my role, is to be to, to have co-opetition. That is, to find partners along the way Wonderful. so that our partnership might enliven and inspire the social ills that we that we are are trying to Address together. Address together. Yeah, and, yeah. Thank and, you. And let's be specific about some of those things. Yep. Uh, we have been involved uh, somewhat in uh, both 
uh, ecumenical Christian work and also in multi-faith and interfaith work uh, through Faith Forward Dallas and Thanksgiving Square and uh, other projects. Uh, but one common project we have is uh, through uh, the, the work in public education and advocacy for public education. Uh, you have at First Church uh, this program that you sort of uh, are housing, you might say, that uh, is called One Plus One. Mm -hmm. And it is part of a larger effort, uh, Pastors for Texas Children that we, we work with, uh, Fellowship Southwest, we can talk about another time. Uh, but uh, this One Plus One uh, is one congregation and one public school together working side by side and hand in hand. Uh, so where did that come from, Andy? And, and, and what promise do you see for public education and the church because of it? Five years ago at First United Methodist Church of Dallas, uh, we, we determined that we needed, uh, we needed to discern how we were gonna connect with our community. And one of the one of really the opportunities we have at First United Methodist Church is we've got a very active congregation, mm -hmm. many of whom are retired teachers or active teachers mm -hmm. who are always reminding the pastoral staff that there's work to do in public education. Yes. So five years ago, we formed a partnership with J.J. Rhodes Learning Center. J.J. Rhodes Learning Center is uh, about a mile and a half from our, our congregation in South Dallas Fair Park. And first year we had 30 volunteers that connected with JJ Rhodes. After four full school years, we now have just about 150 volunteers wow. doing a variety of things my in the school. Well, in my read of, of Methodism and in my connection with the work of the church, capital C Church, uh, oftentimes churches find their best connection in neighborhood schools. Methodism was the same. Uh, there weren't neighborhood schools in mm -hmm. London. And right. so John Wesley said, let's start to educate the children wherever we are. Yes. So the development of Sunday school happened, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, this is where, this is, this is in our DNA, is connecting with public schools. Mm -hmm. Taking the energy of my congregation around one school and seeing how that one school affected such significant change mm -hmm. in our church life together. Mm -hmm. Our hospitality has changed, George. Yes, right. uh, the way we see children has changed. We developed an urban camp program. This summer, we're gonna see about 200 unique families coming through our Fantastic. walls for the second summer in a row. This is what a church school partnership can do in the life of the church. It invigorates and raises our awareness, not just to the need, but to the opportunity that is a connection with a neighborhood school. And this is really good news. Uh, this is the gospel, uh, which although most of the time inside the church, we think the gospel means only uh, that uh, Jesus died for your sins and you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, all of which is true and good and we preach and we teach. Uh, but then there's that Methodist question <laughs> about what now, yeah, right? right. And, and, and how do we proclaim, as Jesus said, good news to the poor, mm -hmm. uh, to announce that good news? And, and going to 
J.J. Rhodes is a, a, a connection between a, a relatively affluent church um, that's generally Anglo and privileged and actually realizing that this is not just a charity thing, but we all have a stake in this together, right? So I think one of the things that our churches don't realize is that when we are doing this work, we are as changed by this as anybody we go to help. It's sort of like the experience of going on a mission trip, right? You know, you, right. you think you're going to this poor group and we're going to help them and we're going to bring them uh, the staples of life and, 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 help, and, and offer something of the wisdom of our prosperity. And we come back thinking, how poor in spirit are we that we uh, need to realize the strength that they have? Uh, and we, how can we get some more of that for ourselves too, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The, the, power, the power of connecting to our community as a church reminds us that there is no they. That's right. There is only we. Nice. And when, when we are in ministry, we discover for ourselves that God is already there yes. and God is already affecting change in, in who we are and how we are raising our awareness as community together. Nice. Nice. I think it was one of your Methodists, uh, uh, Kenan Callahan, yes. who, who once said, uh, the Spirit of God is in the world. When the church is in the world, the Spirit of God is in the world. When the church is not in the world, the Spirit of God is in the world. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly so the church right. needs to get into the world in order to really experience what the Spirit is up to in the world, yeah, right? Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, I think it's I a pretty good, pretty good line. Well, so you have an ambition to not just do this with First Church, but Correct. to invite all of our churches here in Dallas to get involved in a one plus one relationship with the school. Yes, and not only that, but uh, a little more progressive as well. That is, certainly we want churches to connect with neighborhood schools, mm -hmm. but we also want to have Jewish communities, yes. Muslim communities, yes. Baha'i communities, yes. Hindu communities, uh, Buddhist communities connecting with our neighborhood schools. Yes. Mm -hmm. In DISD, we have a beautifully diverse mm -hmm. school system. Mm -hmm. There are 167,000 children. Not, not every one of those children are Christian. Right. Might they find a mentor who is Muslim? Mm -hmm. Might they find a reading partner who is Jewish? Mm -hmm. Might they find uh, someone who is not of a faith tradition to connect with them in a profound way? Yes. Once again, it's no longer those kids or these churches, but we find ourselves lifting up the we of our community system. And this becomes another way to teach our own uh, congregations and each of our religious traditions that there's also no they, that Absolutely. we are in this together and that God is at work in all of our faiths. Well, let's pick it up at that point and, and talk about what else is going on in the Methodist Church right now uh, after this break. Thank you, George. Okay. Faith Forward Dallas at Thanksgiving Square is a broad and diverse coalition of Dallas's faith leaders dedicated to service, hope, and a shared vision for North Texas. Faith Forward Dallas creates and supports a community of respect and compassion for all. Sharing in the mission of the Thanksgiving Foundation to heal divisions and enhance mutual understanding. Andy, the Methodist Church is engaged in a large process of decision making now 
uh, that's been called officially the way forward, mm -hmm. uh, the proposal of a selected group of bishops of uh, how to think about the place of and role of uh, lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, and transgender Christians in the church. Uh, this is, of course, something that has uh, been uh, challenging to every denomination in America today. Uh, many of the, the denominations, uh, you could say, have fallen on the fault line of this question of, of where uh, they, they come at this matter. Uh, and, and I hate to call it a matter or an issue. We're talking about human lives here. Absolutely. We're talking about our sisters and brothers in Christ. Uh, this is, as you said earlier, this is not about they, this is about we. Um, but you have a big decision that the church is, is coming up on. What is the presentation that's being made uh, to the church? And you will vote, I guess, in February of Correct. 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, how have they structured this? What have they said is the way forward for the Methodist Church? Yeah, so the last, the last two and a half years, George, the United Methodist Church uh, has been a, in a place of discernment, mm -hmm. officially. Yes. But really, in the United Methodist Church, we've been discerning uh, issues of human sexuality uh, for the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this selection of 40 persons, clergy, lay, and a few bishops, uh, have been studying together for the last 18 months or so. They'll have a report that's given to us July of 2018. That report will be disseminated through the global church, and then we will have seven months to read and discern for ourselves what the report what the report says and what implications it has for our regions or annual conferences and mm -hmm. for our local churches. Mm -hmm. Then in February of 2019, we'll gather together in St. Louis and we're only talking about human sexuality. Certainly, our brothers, sisters, and siblings together are waiting on the edge of their seat uh, to hear what's, what's going to happen next February. But from a really depressing state of affairs, I believe that our brothers, sisters, and siblings uh, who have seen the reluctance of the church to step out and take a stand, that those persons are no longer in their seat. Mm -hmm. They've gone elsewhere. Yes. And as a pastor, George, this is a pastoral concern for me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was called to ministry to be in people's lives where they were experiencing the highest of heights and the lowest of lows, uh, celebrating weddings and baptisms and birthdays and anniversaries uh, around baptisms and Holy Communion, the, the high points of life. I was also called to walk with people who are experiencing death, mm -hmm. uh, who are experiencing the low points of their life, uh, fractured relationships and, and uh, fractured families divided families. That's where I'm called to. Mm -hmm. Currently, the United Methodist Church says to a pastor, you cannot participate in the people's life uh, where they are celebrating a marriage, where they're celebrating love. Same gender marriage. Same gender marriage, certainly. Right. certainly. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and part of that is because your official 
uh, book of discipline has language that it has inherited from the tradition and in fairness we've had 2,000 years of language of um, marriages between a man and a woman. Uh, but that is, the proposal is for that language to be uh, changed so that it could apply equally to same gender relationships as well. Uh, and so there, there will be uh, an option for congregations, as I understand it, to perhaps be able to decide for themselves whether they're going to uh, choose to continue the more traditional approach or to be uh, more in the inclusive matter of, of same gender relationships? Y yes and no. Okay. Um, that, that's one of the proposals. Okay. Um, so uh, the, the worst case scenario for me is mm -hmm. for the church to vote on anything. Yes. It becomes positional. Mm -hmm. um, I celebrate an open table mm -hmm. where all are welcome. Yes. So on any given Sunday morning at First United Methodist Church, especially when we're celebrating Holy Communion, I will have someone who is affiliated with the Tea Party and someone who's affiliated with the Green Party right before me kneeling and I'm, I'm able to press bread into their hands and remind them that this is the bread of life. Mm -hmm. And there is, no, there is no distinction between them. They are both children of God. Uh, those who are kneeling are, uh, are heterosexual, are homosexual, are transgender, are bisexual. Um, they reach out their hands and expect the bread of life. Uh, from my vantage point, a vote in any congregation is a vote on separation. So let me validate what you're saying because uh, I come from a voting tradition. Yeah. Uh, and as Baptists, um, we vote congregationally on major changes like this. Uh, it's curious that we uh, tried to figure out how not to vote about <laughs> this matter uh, because in the end, we did vote in November of 2016, uh, we, we voted uh, to affirm our existing bylaws, which did not have restrictive language in them, uh, but we had to be clear that what they now meant, uh, it was a little bit like the Declaration of Independence, uh, what does all mean? You know, <laughs> all men are created equal. Right. Well, does that mean all men and women? Does it mean uh, f slave as well as free? You know, d does it mean black as well as white? Does, and we had to keep adjudicating that. Similarly, we had to had to finally say, this really is what we're voting on. Uh, and it was disruptive, it was painful, it was difficult, uh, and it did create the feeling of winners and losers mm -hmm. uh, among people who loved each other and cared deeply for each other. Uh, it, it felt like there was no alternative than to be able to, to do that. I wish we could have found a way to do otherwise. Um, but I will say that uh, by experience, um, the, the, the fact is that, that gay and lesbian Christians, transgender Christians, uh, they, have, they have heard our silence for so long and it is spoken so loudly and it has really been a no. That to hear a yes and to know that it's clear uh, was a great gift to them. Uh, that to not, be, to not have to look over their shoulder or to look down the pew and to wonder if they were really welcome. 
and the joy of being able to see them renew their faith in God and to find their place in the church today is more than I can possibly tell you. Uh, I, I know you know this, but what I want to encourage the Methodist Church about is that that is true. At the same time, I will tell you that there is a lingering sadness and pain that I have, and I think many in our church have, over the loss of friends who felt that they could not be at the table together uh, if that meant uh, that uh, the uh, full inclusion of LGBTQ persons uh, did, did not have the limitations that they felt were traditional, biblical, spiritual, theological, and that they had heartfelt reason to, um, to hold those views. Somehow or other, they, they felt that they uh, were now part of the, um, the, the group that had lost and that, that couldn't find their life fully uh, um, among us. And, and so it, it, it was a very difficult sifting that took place um, a, a feeling of grief and loss. Uh, I will tell you that it's, um, it, it's, it's beginning to be a time of healing and joy. And I hope that um, this is something that the Spirit is at work in all of our churches about. Uh, I, I think we'll have to let God sort that out, uh, ultimately, who's right and who's wrong. But these are different views of, of, of how we pastor, aren't they? Absolutely. And uh, I have watched closely how you've carried yourself uh, in profound ways, George. You have risen to the occasion and mm -hmm. wept and embraced those who yeah. found themselves outside, um, outside of the community now. Uh, right. And I am, I'm so appreciative of how you've carried yourself uh, because certainly uh, as a United Methodist, uh, I'm watching your ministry closely. Thank you. And finding, finding ways of staying courageous and also compassionate in all that you do. I think that one of the hard things to come to is to realize that um, this is for people like me an act of repentance mm. uh, and for the sake of the church um, because uh, it could be otherwise simply a statement of we have control and power, and we're going to allow you to be part of this. No, actually, we've had control and power in a way that was presumptuous uh, and that was uh, holding back the people of God. Uh, now, this is my vision of this, and again, I'm not making a judgment about people who differ from me. I'm only confessionally saying, to me, it felt, it increasingly felt like I had failed to recognize the real presence of Christ in my sisters and brothers who were uh, LGBTQ persons, and that that required my change of heart and mind, my, uh, my contrition, and my advocacy on their behalf. And I regret not coming to that conclusion earlier for their sake. Uh, and there's so much life that is yet to be learned and to, to be lived together. Uh, I pray for that for the Methodist Church as you yeah. come through this time together, and I hope that uh, there'll be a, a, a joyful future that you'll experience when and if uh, that kind of inclusion takes place. Absolutely, and part of the part of the Methodist the Methodist movement is it began as a reform movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It began as a reformation on 
privilege. Yes. On power. Yes. Yes. And finding finding Methodism awakened to our history, our heritage in right. that sense, right. gives me great hope. Yes. And finding a colleague in ministry uh, that encourages my voice in that mm -hmm. and encourages uh, my standing in that, George, yes. has been a significant gift. Yes. My hope and prayer for Methodism is that we don't have to vote congregationally. Mm -hmm. My hope and prayer for Methodism is that it becomes a denominational decision hmm. where, de where we together yes. are deciding what an open table really means. Okay, there it is, yeah, that's true. And that's more your tradition than the congregational decision-making uh, that, uh, that could be a, di a, a direction that you take. Well, I, I will say, uh, Andy, that you know, one of the things that happened to me that I, I think I had to give up in this process is the feeling that I had to be certain. I had to be sure. Um, I had to have all the answers, and um, that's uh, that was a change for me. Where I, I realized I had to put my trust in Jesus about this. Absolutely, I had to give God uh, the credit of knowing that um, if my heart was uh, in in the right place, if I were uh, seeking to to live by the Spirit, that God would sort that out. And I pray that to be true for Methodism as well. There's a lot coming up for you guys in, in, in the next year. And you have our prayers and our, our love and uh, our brotherhood and sisterhood in this process. God bless you. Uh, Thank you, George. In all this work. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, absolutely. Good. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Faith Forward Dallas at Thanksgiving Square is a broad and diverse coalition of Dallas's faith leaders dedicated to service, hope, and a shared vision for North Texas. Faith Forward Dallas creates and supports a community of respect and compassion for all. Sharing in the mission of the Thanksgiving Foundation to heal divisions and enhance mutual understanding.